We are on the book of Philippians, which is a huge little book. I was talking to Marina's mother yesterday. She said, what are you preaching on? Um, uh, Philippians. And she said, oh, it's the, it's the uh, what did she call it again? The psychology book of the Bible. And it is so true. It is, it, it's amazing. It really is. Paul, okay, the author is Paul, and he wrote a majority of the New Testament. Some of his letters are corrective in nature. Uh, books like Romans are theological in nature. Uh, some of them are encouraging. Philippians, what we're doing today is going to be an encouraging book. Uh, but every one of Paul's letters has a major theme and that it, it is unity and holiness or purity. So in each and every letter that he writes, he talks about unity and holiness. And so we definitely see it in this book. Uh, but what he is doing, what Paul, I believe, is doing and in such an amazing way. He had, he had the Gospels. He had Matthew and Mark. Of course, he was hanging around with Luke, so he didn't have the Gospel of Luke yet, and John wasn't written yet. And, and so he had the Gospels, and most likely he had the Sermon on the Mount, so he had the Beatitudes. And of course, he had his, he had his incredible encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus. He had the entire Torah memorized. He was the Jew of all Jews. And he, he's, something changed in this guy. And he's drilling down on the gospel, and he's drilling down on Jesus' life and Jesus' teachings. And what he gives us in his epistles is, honestly, how to, how to think. It's a new way of looking at, at, at life. It is Jesus' teachings that he just makes it so practical and powerful and useful. He builds our theology. Paul builds the theology. That's what theologians say. And, but I would say more importantly, he shows us and he teaches us how to live the new covenant, how to live the new life. And then he, he's amazing because he, you know, he says, I was the man, and now I belong to Jesus. Okay, we're going to be working backwards because I just can't help myself. Chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And if you have NASB or King James, it says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So, so if you're wondering who the him was, it's Christ. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But if you're, like, if you're reading this for the very first time, it, I don't, I'm curious. Listen to what he says. I have learned the secret of being content. What is the secret? 
I want to know. There are so many mysteries and revelations on how to do life. And it's all right here. Like, this is the only book. There's no secret books out there that, that I possess, locked away in my vault. There's no secret knowledge. There's no special revelation. It is all general revelation that we have laid bare. And Paul is telling us that he has learned the secret to being content. I want to know what it is. How does he do this? All right, this isn't just lip service here, by the way. Paul's saying, I've learned the secret to be content. I know how to be happy in every circumstance. Um, the environment that Paul is writing, Philippians, this is a, called a, a prison epistle. He's writing this from prison. And it's not San Quentin. It's not club fed. He's not getting conjugal visits. This is the Mamertine prison in Rome, which is a hole on the ground. Most likely, this letter was dictated. He probably had his hands handcuffed around a column in a hole in the ground without any plumbing, and maybe they'd throw some food at him. And so he's literally sitting in his own poop and pee. And he writes this beautiful stuff. I have learned the secret to being content. In the Mamertine prison, the biggest, baddest of all Rome's enemies, internally and externally, they got thrown in the Mamertine prison. And they went insane. One guy died within a day because it was so horrible. Uh, I, I believe it's it, one, of the, one of the generals who was a... Uh, gothic guy, Cedric. I mean, he was a stud. You know, he was just an animal. And the Mamertine prison drove him nuts. And Paul's writing stuff like, oh, be happy. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Let's do everything without grumbling and complaining. You know what the amazing thing, too? Like, people don't get out of the Mamertine prison. You don't, you don't get out. You don't survive stuff like this. You go in knowing it is a death sentence. And Paul says in the beginning of Philippians, hey, um, hey guys, it's a, this, is, this is like a, a support letter. You know, because the Philippians gave him money, and so he's, this is like a newsletter, basically. He's like saying, hey, thanks for the money. Thanks for the support. It's what it is, practically. So he's doing, hey, thanks for the support. Let me give you some encouragement. Let me help you out here. Um, even though I'm suffering, I mean, I mean. You see, part of this, this secret of being content is like in the midst of, they called the Mamertine prison the gate to hell. So inside of the gate of hell, Paul is experiencing heaven on earth, order in the midst of poo, literally. Isn't that bizarre? How do you do this? And we have the abilities to complain about our situations in our lives and how uncomfortable and miserable our, our American life is.
I want to learn the secret to being content in every circumstance. How does he do it? All right, let's, let's continue to look. Isn't it crazy? Where this environment drove the baddest people on the planet insane, yet Paul writes some of the most revolutionary, most beautiful work that history has. Amazing. All right, let me pick on Paul before I get into the good stuff. I have to do this because this is too good. Um, Chapter 3. Finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Okay, remember his circumstance. Rejoice in the Lord. There's no trouble for me to write uh, the same things to you again and again. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, the mutilators of the flesh. He's talking about religious people. If anyone, has, thinks that, if anyone thinks he has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. He was like the perfect Jew. He had everything together. He had the whole Bible memorized. But, and he had position, he had power, he was, um, he was probably, like as far as our legal code would go, he was probably responsible for Stephen's death. He was at least, um, uh, what's the word, uh, he, was, he was at least an accomplice to Stephen's death, if not pulled the trigger himself. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider it loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish. Now, everything that he's had, all of his possessions, all of his power, all of his, his influence, is rubbish compared to what Jesus has done. See, Jesus is good enough for Paul. He doesn't need supplemental material. He doesn't need a self-help book. All he needs is Jesus. And this is working his mind over. And he's able to say, everything is rubbish. And if you have a NIV or NASB might say garbage. King James is the truest to the translation. King James says dung. Everything is dung. And so I had to look it up in the, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I looked it up in, in, in Strong's. And this is the only Greek word in the entire Bible. There's only, there's only one rubbish. And it, it, is, it is dung, but it's, it's Greek slang. This is Greek slang. This word is only used once. So Paul is, he's saying a bad word. This is human dung he's talking about. So he's using some very strong language. And the irony, that's what he's sitting in right now. Everything 
compared to what Jesus has done for me is refuse. <laughs> that's, that's how big the contrast is in his mind. This is the beginning of his wisdom. This is the beginning of his understanding. This is the beginning. Jesus Christ, the, the, Christ's mind in him, his, the secret that he learned in, in his repentance See, his repentance was not feeling sorry for himself. His repentance was not guilting himself for all of the horrible things that he's done. The repentance was a momentary, I don't know how long the moment was. He did feel the godly sorrow and the guilt for what he did. Hmm? But the true repentance was in this transformation where he completely changed his entire psyche. And made a psyche empowered by Christ that survived insanity from the Mamertine prison. Huge. Chapter 1, verse 9. And this is my prayer. So he's praying for these guys. Uh, he says, when I pray for you, I always pray with joy. Like, he loves these people. These Philippians. He says, when I remember you, I get happy. Joy comes into my heart. And he says this in verse 9. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness. Now, that's a little complicated, but let's, let's flesh it out a little bit. What's the theme? What's one of Paul's major themes in every single epistle? Do you guys remember? Unity. Right. So he is going after, again, the unity of the Philippians. Again, he's encouraging. He's grateful for them because they're so generous. He is grateful for them because this is a, this is a community that, that just exploded. He spent some time with one Philippian in jail. And because of that seed, an entire community is birthed in a, in a pagan society. And he says, my, I get happy when I pray for you. And my continual prayer is that your love for each other may abound more and more. And then he, in chapter, uh, chapter 3, no, chapter 4, he addresses actually a very specific uh, issue. He says, I plead with you, Judea and Sintki, that you guys, you guys may get along. <laughs> so there's these two church ladies. Can I get an Amen. There's two church ladies that are arguing about something. And Paul pleads and he cries and he's going, he's going to war that these two ladies that helped him in ministry, that helped spread the gospel, that were so influential in this church, that those two would not fall prey to the enemy's schemes for disunity. 
And this is the key to the whole, this is the key to the whole thing, honestly. It is this love that abounds more and more, and that, that these two ladies can forget their pain and their bitterness and their anger and quit focusing on the negative and see the positive in their communities and in each other, and that their love for one another may abound more and more. Why? For knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and is pure. Okay, I can't tell you how many times I hear from individuals or prayer requests or like posts online. People are saying, I want to know what God's will is for my life. I need to be able to discern what the specifics are. Mature Christians will spend $200 to go to a a prophecy conference. I'm not saying that that's bad because we need to continue to, to learn and to grow and to glean. So I'm not bashing that, but I am going after the motivation. Because sometimes our motivations for going to a prophecy conference is because we need, we like, we think that we're going to get some special revelation. Paul gives it to us right here. Unity. Holiness. You begin to say, to see yourself in light of everybody else. You get outside of yourself. You lay your own desires and your will down. And you, you ready for this? You give up your right to be dang right. Oh, it's so hard, isn't it? Giving up your right to be right. It is very un-American. That goes against the grain of, our, of the core of, of our American culture. We have the right to be right. We have a yellow flag with, with the snake on it that says, don't tread on me. Step off, I'm an American. Jesus tells us something else. Listen to what he tells us. Where'd it go? I had it. Oh, I lost it. That was really good. Oh, rubbish. Um, (laughs) I'm looking for it. I'll just do this instead. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, and if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. This is actually what I was looking for. Do nothing out of selfish ambition 
or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Back to one. That your love may abound more and more for depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. Do you have the ability to discern what is best? Hopefully by now, your moral compass is okay. And you should know what is right and what is wrong, what is, what is sinful and what is not. But do you have the ability to discern what is best? And once you're able to do chapter 2, do, not, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Once you'll be able to work, work and function at that level, then you will have the ability, the power, the wisdom, the insight to discern what is best for you. Wisdom comes out of this ability to, to sacrifice for one another. It is the whole concept of living in one another. Are you ready for this one? This one. All right, hang on to your seats. Chapter 2, verse 14. You ready? Do everything without complaining or arguing. Oh, you guys want to go home now? Do everything. Everything without complaining or arguing or whining. It's hard, huh? It's so hard that, that Paul can't even do it. He argues with Peter. He calls these guys dogs, right? Remember chapter 3? Watch out for those dogs. Yeah. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Why? So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault, in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you will shine like stars in the universe. That's beautiful, huh? You will shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. You cannot shine. You cannot present the word of life if you are arguing and complaining and whining. Don't you want to shine? We limit our ability to shine. So we're always finding something, some aspect, some little thing to whine about, to focus on, to push up against, something that grates us. Paul says in chapter 3, verse 10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death so somehow I can obtain the resurrection. Listen to this. But one thing I do, 
This is part of the secret. This is part of the mystery. One thing that I do, I'm forgetting what is behind. Can you do that? Can you forget your past? <laughs> I got her to know. One thing Paul does, the one reason he's able to escape the insanity of the Mamertine prison, one thing he does, he is forgetting what is behind and he is straining forward to what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Is your negative situation driving you insane? Like, if we don't pay attention, if we don't press on, if we don't forget our past, if we spend more time focusing on our past than what God has presented to us in our future, you will go insane. I know the past hurts. I have seen some painful past as a pastor. Let it go, guys. Let it go. If you can let it go, you can face the most horrible situation and have peace. Chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Paul has this ability, this, this repetitive thing going on. The, when we begin to read the scriptures, and if something like, hits you the right way, uh, chapter 4, verse 13, is my, it's my mantra. It always has been. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So when I was in high school and I was wrestling, that was my mantra. Before I got on the mat, before I wrestled a guy, I was like, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can beat this guy through Christ who gives me strength. And I was just hoping he wasn't praying the same prayer. <laughs> right? I think sometimes he was because I didn't win them all. Right? I didn't go to state. But I went to CIF. And if I wasn't praying that prayer... Would I have gone as far? I don't think so. Does that make sense? You win some, you lose some, but with God on your side, you're going to win a lot more than you lose. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Let your... Gener okay, again, it's the, you got to do this stuff over and over again. All right, I, I've been transparent about this in the past. I'm going to do it again. I have issues in the car when I'm driving by myself. It's like something wells up deep inside of me. And Pastor Josh says horrible things to people that are driving. Like, and like I'm on my way to church to preach a message. Like, what? where did that come from? Uh, Patricia Lynn, who teaches our Wednesday night class on Game Changers, like, she's a gem. You need to get around her. You need, to, you need to glean off of her. She needs to rub off on you because she has learned the secret of contentment. Like, when people cut her off on the road, she blesses them. How do you do that? 
That only happens from the transformed mind. And Patricia Lynn is a race car driver, like a legit race car driver. Yeah. <laughs> yes. She's not messing around. And she's learned the secret of contentment. You know what she does? She teaches this Game Changers class over and over and over again. And so what she's doing, and she's basically re, she's rewired her mind from an angry race car driver to somebody that can bless anybody in each and every circumstance. I need to learn that. Let your gentleness be evident to all. All, including the guy that cuts you off. The Lord is near. Oh, man. <laughs> right? Really? I just thought he was just near when I was in church. He's near like all, he always, oh. He's always like not looking over your shoulder, I guess. All right, ready? Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Ready? And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind. Two things. And it flows from the heart and into the mind. I... Do you ever get frustrated when you're leading a horse to water and they don't drink? If you have kids and you're trying to uh, give your kids some common knowledge and they don't get it. Like, how do you teach love? Can you actually teach that abstract? I, I mean, I've taught it, but just because I've taught love doesn't make you guys lovers. Does that, right? It, it has to be experienced, and it has to be felt. And the activation, the, it comes into the heart, the very core of who we are in, in our spirit. Okay, don't be anxious about anything but in everything with prayer and petition and the T word thankfulness make your request known before God and that the God of peace will transcend all understanding and circumstances that's why Paul was able in the Mamertine prison he transcended isn't this cool Paul transcended his prison cell. Even though he's still in it, he transcended that prison cell that drove powerful men mad. The peace of God. And it happened in his spirit first. I think it happened on the road to Damascus when the light of God blew him off his horse. But then it went into his mind. Yeah? So it, 
Paul, was, Paul had the character, the will, the desire to let the Holy Spirit minister to his mind. And the peace of God not only transcended his heart, but also transcended his mind. We are all here. You are, I, you are all good people. You're all good people, except for Chris. And you're all really good people. It was Gary last first service, so sorry. I had to pick on somebody. You all have it, right? You guys all have it. But the peace of God needs to transcend your mind, too. The, there, there's the battlefield of the mind that Joyce Myers talks about. You got to get that book. And the reason why Paul was commissioned to literally change the world is because he allowed the peace of God to get in between the space between his ears. Yeah. It got out from his heart and into to his ears. And he was able to think theologically. He was able to think. I mean, theologically is probably the wrong word. He's able to think with the mind of Christ. And this is what we get. Here's the secret. This is what he's talking about when he says, I have learned the secret to be content. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you have learned or have received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. There's no excuses is what he's saying. Change the way you think. Think about these things. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. They are, the fruit of the Spirit, I think we had it all wrong when we've been teaching it all these years. They say that the fruit of the Spirit is something that comes out when you live a righteous lifestyle. Hmm? You know, you're a good little moral person and then a good fruit will pop up and it will be the indication that you're doing it right. And I think that that's wrong. I think we need to go after the fruit and eat it. You're not joyful? Go pick some joy fruit. You're not kind, you're unkind, you're grumpy, go eat some kindness fruit. Get it inside of you. Abiding in Christ as you are buried in this dirt and you eat, you eat his fruit. It is, it's how you get the mind of Christ. You think about these things. You get into them. And then if the excuses come up, and I've heard the excuses. I don't know how to do it. No one has taught me. Uh, yeah, it's the whining, right? I've done it. I just, I'm a great whiner. Ask my wife. And the Lord and my wife would say, would you like some cheese with that wine? 
right? So we get two things. We get Paul telling us you need to think about lovely things. You need to think about excellent things. You need to quit thinking about the trash. You need to quit thinking about the garbage. You can use the garbage. You can use the rubbish, the dung, as a sermon illustration. But quit thinking about it because your environment is transcending, even though it's horrible. It's going to keep you from going nuts. Here's what you have to do. If you're making excuses, if you think you can't do it, Paul says it. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. You don't know what to do? Hang out with people like Chris. I'm being serious. He has a positive attitude. He's able to, he's able to see what God's doing and give glory to God in a moment. Find somebody that has the joy of God in their heart and get around them until it gets on you. Learn from other people. There are no excuses. If you want that promotion, who are you hanging around with at the water cooler? Right? Are you hanging around the person that's grumbling and complaining? What was the, word, what was the verse that we love so much? Do everything without grumbling and complaining. Find somebody that's done it. Find somebody that's got some victory in their life and get around them. Oh, Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know what your will is for your life. Oh, God, I don't know how to lead the church. I just, what did Dad do? I'm like, okay, all right, I'll do that. Oh, God, I don't know what to do. Go find, go find some godly man or godly woman and start gleaning off of them and quit whining, Josh. Right? There are no excuses. We have everything. Look, the secret, Paul's secret to contentment and surviving insanity was the transformation of his mind. God already got his heart. But just because God got, he has your heart, doesn't mean that he has your mind yet. Yeah? So the Christian lifestyle, it's the mindset. If he's got your heart, you're going to heaven. You're good. You're, you're there. We're all there, right? I won't call anybody else out this morning, but we're all there. Let's just say we're all there. Like if I was going to altar call, probably no one would come up. Unless you really want to know the Lord, come and get me. Get your salvation today. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can transcend every environment, every negative situation. I have all the tools at my hand. There are no excuses. If it's hard, I can, God will give, show me a way to find a way out. Everybody's been saved in the room, right? Some of us, all of us, are all on different spiritual paths and different levels and different areas of maturity and different areas of growth. Sometimes that can be frustrating. If you've been walking with the Lord for, like everybody knows this one, you've been walking with the Lord your entire life and then some Joe Blow gets saved and he's so on fire with God, right? You know this one? It's like, ah, that's annoying. Regardless, 
where he's like, wow, he's, he's excited. He's functioning in his gifts. Let's celebrate that, right? Hmm? So there's these, I think if we just realize that God's got us all on different levels, God's got some of us in waiting, God's, he's got some of us in activation, God's got some of us in health, in, in renewal, right? And you just need to be okay with where God has you. And you need to be okay with where God has other people. And you need to be unified. Here's the thing for everybody. Back in chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until last. You've all have partnership in the gospel. You don't know when you did it, but you all have done it. From the first day until the last. And being confident of this, he that began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. And that is your promise for you today. God has done, he's began a good work in you. Maybe it was last week, maybe it was 20 years ago, but God's promise for us is that he's going to carry that good work on to completion if we let him in our minds. Let Jesus into your brain. Have the same attitude as Christ. Paul had the attitude of Christ. What's what's Jesus' attitude? It's pretty good. Jesus has a good attitude. Jesus doesn't grumble. Jesus doesn't complain. Jesus doesn't whine. He doesn't make excuses. He has a good attitude. Jesus sees you, and he sees all of your good stuff. Jesus looks at the fruit in your life. He looks at how good you are. And when Jesus intercedes to the Father with you, he does it with joy. He that has began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. I could have the band and the ushers to come to the front. How many people think you figured out the, the secret to Paul's contentment today? Did you get it? I hope you got it today. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray that you just open up our hearts, our spirit, and just continue just to do a deep work in our spirit. Help us to minister to our souls and to our minds right now. God, we lay down our thoughts to you. We give you our minds. And I pray right now that we will allow you to transform us through the renewing of our mind, through the rewiring of our mind with the fruit of the Spirit, with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, 
self-control, that we'll have the desire to focus on the things in our life that are lovely, that are beautiful, that are pure, that are true, that are praiseworthy, that are excellent. God, I pray that we will think about these things and not about the dung that's around us. You've made us, you've made a way, you've given us a path. We know that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. So disempower us now in your name, Lord Jesus. God, I pray you bless our offerings. May our offering, may our worship be a sweet sacrifice, a sweet fragrance to your nostrils this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen.